1: Las Vegas is thought of in many ways, where the entertainment capital, the gaming capital, and the convention capital. Part of the Las Vegas mystique, though, is in the nature of its buildings, its hotels, and casinos. During Black History Month, we're going to talk about one of the people who contributed to the look and feel of Las Vegas, Paul Revere Williams, famed architect based in Los Angeles, but made his presence felt here in Las Vegas, especially during an era of segregation. Here to talk about Paul Rivera-Williams is my guest, Clay T. White. She's the inaugural director of the Oral History Research Center for the University of Nevada Las Vegas Libraries, and she's also one of the five founders of the Las Vegas Black Historical Society. Clay T., welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Ira. When was the first time you read or heard about Paul Rivera-Williams? Was it when you were in Los Angeles or going further back? Oh, no, it was here in Las Vegas.
0: Interesting. Yes. Uh, When I started learning about the Moulin Rouge, I was introduced to Mr. Paul Williams. And from there, I learned more and more of his history. Were you surprised
1: about his accomplishments, not just in Las Vegas, but in Los Angeles and and really worldwide, because he was a well-known architect for many, many decades?
0: Uh, No, I was not surprised. I was very encouraged that we had this kind of history, not surprised, meaning I probably was surprised to know that he had done work in Las Vegas. But I wasn't surprised that there was someone of his caliber that I didn't know anything about. I- I'm surprised all the time at the, <laughs> and yes, at the kinds of work that blacks have done across the country, and we never knew anything about it.
1: It's funny, too, because you're right. There are people who are not known generally, but if you do some digging, you can find out. But Paul Williams himself was fairly well-known, and yet as time goes by... You'd think people would know about him, but not necessarily so. And we're going to talk a little a bit about his contributions to Las Vegas. But just the fact that, just as an example of how far back we're talking about in terms of time, he became the first African-American member of the American Institute of Architects in 1923. Mm-hmm. That's quite a while ago. So That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. And, mm-hmm. and I'm making the point because to be successful at that point in history, He was a mid-century architect, generally speaking, but to be that honored that early in that period, as opposed to now we're talking about him even now, for a number of reasons we'll get into in a moment, but that just struck me as, again, what you said, you find out about these people you may not even know about them, and yet they've been doing stuff for decades.
0: Yes. And so in 1923, we know about him only because he joined the AIA. So and at that time, you know that blacks had problems joining the national organizations for doctors, the national organizations for CPAs, all of that. So blacks had to start their own organizations. So you hear of the National Lawyers Association because they could not join the American associations at that time. The architects, I I guess Paul must have been one of the first, so that there probably weren't enough architects at the time, so they allowed him to become a part of the AIA, and we didn't have to start a national institute of architects.
1: It's quite a story. He, in terms of Las Vegas, I guess everybody that knows about him thinks first, I think, of Carver Park. Would that be correct? Clay T., yeah. in terms of the what he first got involved with in Las Vegas. In Los Angeles, he's known for so many different things. Just an example for our listeners, the MCA, Saks Fifth Avenue, Palm Springs, Tennis Club, Mutual Life Insurance Building. There, there's a ton of stuff out there, and he worked for a lot of celebrities and built and designed their, I should say, he designed their homes. And in Las Vegas, though, this is, again, we're going back in time at the height of World War II, where BMI, which was basic magnesium incorporated, was building a plant here, and they needed to import workers, many of whom came from the south. I'll, I'll let you take it from there, because I—that's why I want you on. I don't want to give the whole story, because I'm not the expert.
0: So, um, so neither am I. But, uh, Carver Park was the housing area at BMI, where blacks lived. So BMI was a federal project. Uh, a plant designed to process the magnesium used to build all kinds of war equipment. The federal government built two housing projects, one for blacks, one for whites. The white one was called Victory Village and the black housing area was called Carver Park. And for some reason, Paul Williams was selected as the architect to design Carver Park. So we're very, very happy about that. but unfortunately, it's no longer there. We have the foundations of a couple of the buildings, but that's it. I don't know what could have happened to all of the Carver Park homes.
1: If they designate any kind of plaque for that area indicating that this was the original spot?
0: So there is a Henderson Historical Society and they are very, very conscientious. They've done wonderful work, and I w- would imagine that they must have put a plaque at this site by this time. Uh, the Historical Society is not that old, but I'm going to get in touch with somebody and just find out.
1: Yeah, I'd be curious just to find mm-hmm. out whether or not, they, because it seems to me there are no other, as you said, the foundation, some of the foundation is still there, but, mm-hmm. but the homes themselves are not there. So mm-hmm. we go from there to Berkeley Square. Tell us a little bit about Berkeley Square.
0: So Berkeley Square was designed in 1954. This was the first housing development for African-Americans in Las Vegas, the first housing development designed for middle-class homeowners. It was attached to the West Side community, that historic African-American community, the only place that African-Americans could live at the time. And he designed 148 homes called Berkeley Square that is now on the National Register of Historic Places.
1: When you get that kind of designation, Clay T., what does that do for that area? In other words, does it protect it or does it limit development or redevelopment there?
0: No, not really. When an area is on the National Register of Historic Places, it means that you are supposed to adhere to certain rules, and especially, I think this one is also on the local register. So you have to adhere to certain rules when it comes to making renovations to your house, especially those renovations that can be seen from the street. You just have to be careful because you want that neighborhood to keep the integrity of the original designs. And it means that you're living in a historic place. They did some wonderful things over in Berkeley Square. There are a series of banners designed by an African-American local artist about six years ago. And those banners fly throughout that neighborhood now. So as you enter the neighborhood, not only is there a huge plaque but there are all kinds of banners. It's a a wonderful neighborhood, needs some work, needs some love and attention, but there are some blocks in there that are just still wonderful and beautiful.
1: And I heard that many of the homes have remained in the hands of original family owners, not all, but I would imagine even new people moving in get a sense of place and time with that community.
0: They should, because it is designed to even look different from the surrounding houses in the area. So immediately you do know that you are in, a, you're in a, a different kind of area. There is a homeowners association that works through the area, and the city has planted some trees in the area. So it has a lot of promise and needs a lot of work. Do you, are you optimistic about that particular development? I'm very optimistic about it because of the homeowners association and the president of the homeowners association ruth don't is one of the original her family owned one of the original houses in 1954 i shouldn't say the original houses they're all original <laughs> yes but right. her her family purchased one of those houses in 1954 1955 when occupancy began so because you have people like that still in the community, I have lots of hope for the area.
1: And two, that because it stays in in a family's lineage, so it becomes the next generation's home and the next generation after that's home as well, or could in some it cases. It could. Right.
0: And, yes, it could. And so we're only talking about 1954, 55, right. but still we have a couple of generations. And like I said, Ruth, who is the president of the association, is the daughter of one of the families. So she's lived there for a long time. And I've heard too, and this is
1: just going back to Los Angeles for a second, that the granddaughter of Paul Williams still lives in one of the homes he designed.
0: Uh, Now, that kind of history, I don't know.
1: But that's Uh, that was my research. And yeah, I'm going to uh focus most on Las Vegas, but I just thought it was interesting Uh that I guess the fact I guess what I'm trying to get to is that there's a sense of permanence with what he designed and what had been built so that whether it's Las Vegas or Los Angeles, a lot of these homes are still there. A lot of these buildings are still there. That's where I was going with that. Okay. Now, Uh what was your sense of the man when you started to do research and you found out what he had contributed to Las Vegas?
0: I loved what I learned and what I was able to drive around to see. I liked the idea that his designs were so different from what everybody else had thought to put in Las Vegas. That La Concha shell that was a part of the original La Concha Hotel, I just thought that was an amazing design. And for someone to have the, the idea that it could be moved and reused, that is amazing. So we, we have it now as part of the Neon Museum. So I love go- going into that building. I love walking into a building that is just so graceful. And when I see that, I think of the talent of Paul Williams that he could do that with concrete and and now we have it preserved here and and that la concha is just such a beautiful idea showcasing the talents of one person and i can't even imagine the other talents that we have allowed to never come to fruition because we were so narrow-minded about who is doing what and the color of their skin. So when I look at the work of Paul Williams, I always think, oh, my God, I wonder what could have been.
1: Yes, it's bittersweet in a way. Let's, let's take a break. My guest, Clay T. White, is the inaugural director of the Oral History Research Center for the University of Nevada Las Vegas Libraries, and we're talking about famed architect Paul Rivera-Williams and his contributions to and impact on Las Vegas. We'll be right back.
0: We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. Come discover a world of possibilities, a world of wonder, a world carefully curated with interactive, hands-on experiences that put the unique needs of children to play, explore, belong, and learn right where they should be, and that's FIRST. Discovery Children's Museum, our kids first. For more information, please visit discoverykidslv.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira.
1: Welcome back. I'm talking with Clay T. White. She's the inaugural director of the Oral History Research Center for the University of Nevada Las Vegas Libraries. And we're talking about Paul Revere Williams and his contributions to and the impact on, his impact on Las Vegas. And Clay T., we were talking about the Lacanche, and I couldn't help but thinking that many of his designs were not based on what would be called the color of his skin. And what I mean by that is this. Here was a man who was in the middle of a segregationist environment that didn't stop him from becoming successful for decades, as a matter of fact. But his design work was not particularly white, black, or anything, it was just unique, I guess is what I'm saying. Is that your take on him as well?
0: I don't think about him like that. I think that he was a very talented artist. And we see it in his buildings today.
1: Well, well I guess what I'm I saying get, is as important as he is in terms of Black History Month, his designs were not necessarily indicative of a particular racial approach. So that. And, I don't, words,
0: and yeah. I don't think there is such a thing as a racial approach. Yeah, I agree with I, you. I just think that there is divine creativity. And he is a shining example of what that divine creativity looks like that flows out of us. So he had enough freedom within him to allow his talents to just flow. It made no difference to him what color his skin is, was. I, I think that he was just a talented man, and I think this shows us if we would just allow talent to flow, This is the kind of beauty that we would see everywhere all around us. We wouldn't have to worry about, oh, this person is black who designed that building, and that person is Asian who designed that building. I think we would just walk around seeing beauty if we would just be open-minded enough to allow it to flow. And we're not. We're not. (laughs) Not ready. Even today, we're not ready.
1: And I think that's my point, is that his contribution is such that, and I'm comparing it to, for example, black music, where certain composers, certain artists, you know they are approaching it from a certain point of view. With Williams, he seemed to approach it from, as you said, the art point of view. And so his designs transcend time, race, culture, etc.
0: And and I think we can also see that in our songwriters, our artists and lots of other fields we we look at creativity and before you know it it is being taken over by other groups and other populations so because people just have pure talent and other other groups can co-opt that talent it shows that there're no bounds mm-hmm. And I think he, you mentioned earlier,
1: we talked about the La Concha, which is an interesting piece of architecture because it's, it's not typical of a lot of Paul Williams' work. And yet it has, as you said, because of the Neon Museum, someone had the brains to say, hey, let's preserve this and let's move it to the Neon Museum and let's let that be the, the lobby area for the, the entrance for the Neon Museum. So people coming to the Neon Museum who may not even have heard of, of Paul Williams, all of a sudden, we'll get a sense of history just by being inside.
0: That's correct. And, and they see something before they enter the building that is just phenomenal. So yes, it gives us a look, and it gives us the opportunity to walk into a place designed by someone with that kind of talent. So even today, we get a chance to do that
1: also to the guardian angel cathedral which he designed that's another i think example of a contribution to a culture to a society to a religion where people go to worship and they can but they also have this wonderful architecture
0: oh wonderful architecture wonderful windows and i hope that it can always stay at the location where it is because we have people from our community who still go there for services, even though it's on the Las Vegas Strip, but because because it's set back right. and you can you can enter from the rear, you don't have to really enter from the Strip. It is just, its, it's longevity is, is amazing, and that the use of it is still used. Visitors use it, but our local congregations use it as well. If you were looking at the sum total of
1: Paul Rivera Williams' contribution to Las Vegas, and we'll just focus on Las Vegas, is there mm-hmm. a sentence you could put together that would encapsulate that or is that t- that's too short to ask of you to <laughs> to to do in other words, how would you characterize his contributions to Las Vegas? Let's do it that way.
0: So, I have never thought of that before, but I think I would use the word beauty. And I would use that word in a way Yes, you come to Las Vegas and you see all kinds of wonderful buildings. You see the Wind building, the Bellagio. You see buildings that are just magnificent. But there is something about a timeless beauty that uh, Paul Williams created, and it it stands the test of
1: time. It does. Is there a way that anybody can explain it on a non-emotive basis what I mean by that is this you're struck by it I'm struck by it you feel it and you appreciate it but is there a way to explain why that appeal is there on some non-emotional level I don't know if you can do that or not or I can do that I just I'm curious about that how, how you describe something that is timeless that is beautiful and has an impact on you from an emotional standpoint but I don't know if you can explain it in a non- non-emotional way what is what it is about the appeal of his architecture?
0: Well, I think even if I did not know anything about him, the few buildings that we see, I think they're unusual for, the, for this environment. And so there is something about them that, and I think unusual might be the word, for our city, for what we stand for. We stand for entertainment. And we're the entertainment capital of the world. We're the gaming capital of the world. And people come here to have fun. People come here to relax. Maybe they don't relax. Maybe they just come here for fun and entertainment. And then as we drive around the city, we see these nuggets, these few unusual nuggets that are just out of place. And we appreciate that. We appreciate that unusual, timeless beauty.
1: They're contrasting nuggets because, as you said earlier, there's all these nice buildings on the Strip, and some of them are very well done. Mm -hmm. But his designs tend to be in contrast to those so that you you don't get necessarily a sense. Maybe it's because I've been in Las Vegas a lot. I don't get a sense of, timelessness when i look at a lot of the casinos and a lot of the buildings here there's not there's uh, maybe the the mob museum building down which used to be the post office and the courthouse that that's has a sense of permanence the smith center which is r- relatively recently built has a sense of permanence because of its classical design art deco and all of that and i think the same could be said of the work of paul williams in las vegas that it has a sense of not just permanence but as you said it's art it's, it's contrast, it has a, you just, it's something special that you just can't defy.
0: That's correct. And it stands out in our city, just like the buildings that you've named. And I think it serves a purpose. It serves, it's, it's art. I think that the buildings that you've named and Paul Reveal, Williams' buildings, I think they do something for our city that we don't see very often and we appreciate that we appreciate that timelessness we appreciate the art
1: i think that most people do and i something that you said earlier and i I think we'll end with it even though normally i end on a happy note but there's something that you said that stuck in my mind and that was that you looked at william's career and you couldn't help but think and i'll paraphrase you here clayty but you couldn't help but think what could have been In other Mm -hmm. situations, if people had just been allowed to express their art.
0: And he was the kind of person who had the talent, taught himself to draw upside down so that he wouldn't have to sit beside his client because at the time that would not have been allowed. So he had to sit across the desk from a person and draft a design as they talked about what they wanted in a design, and he could do it upside down as quickly as another architect, another artist would be able to do it right side up. So when we see his talent, and we see that talent in a way that has to compensate, to overly compensate for something that was not even necessary, can you imagine what he could have done using that talent in other creative ways? Absolutely. In that one
1: area, though, to paraphrase Martin Luther King Jr., he did overcome. Did he okay. not? I, I, I mean, he overcame that part of it. He, didn't, he couldn't necessarily express other areas of art based on what you were saying, but at least within his, his career— He was able to transcend.
0: He definitely was a success. Right. And what I'm saying is that it was stifled. Right. And that it could have been even greater than it was. So I think that's what systemic racism does in a country like ours.
1: So it stifles even the most creative, even the most disciplined, even the people that had preparation and willpower and a strength of character, it still hobbled because, him to some extent.
0: Because they had to overcome obstacles that weren't even necessary when everybody else could be just creating.
1: And I think that's a perfect place to end it. My guest has been Clay T. White. She's the inaugural director of the Oral History Research Center for the University of Nevada Las Vegas Libraries. And we've been talking about Paul Revere Williams and his contributions to and impact on Las Vegas. Clay T, thanks for being on the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. See